Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's interview is with one of the leading researchers in the world looking at circadian biology, which is how your body responds to night and dark cycles. When you listen all the way through to the end, you're going to learn so many different things you can do to improve the way your body functions that don't have a lot to do with exercise or any of the things you might expect. There's just tons of really good information from one of the guys doing the in the trenches work with some powerful stories filling it in. So you'll enjoy this one. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Today's cool fact of the day is that 50 years ago, scientists were first able to create synthetic DNA. 50 years ago. They produced a type of viral DNA called Phi-X174, which is an extremely simple molecule with only five or six genes, but that laid the foundation for the synthesis of more complex DNA, including the whole genome and even semi-synthetic organisms. And who would have thought 50 years ago, things do change quickly, but this was before I was born. This is a huge achievement since the structure of the DNA molecule was discovered only a few years before they did this, in 1953, and that was discovered by none other than Francis Crick. Today's guest is a friend of mine, Sachin Panda, who has perhaps the coolest name of any research scientist that I've come <laughs> across. As you might have guessed, he grew up in India, but he's a professor at the Regulatory Biology Lab at the Salk Institute. And I had a chance to spend several hours with him and his team last year uh, looking at mitochondrial cells in rat retinas and just getting like the geekiest tour I've ever had of cool research going on. And, and Sachin is considered one of the top 50 influential scientists in a book called Brain Trust. His discoveries among the top 10 breakthroughs of the year in a science magazine. And he's just gone through and done research about the profound impact of ambient light and your daily eating and fasting cycle on preventing a huge number of diseases like diabetes, depression, metabolic syndrome, heart disease, cancer. And he's running a large research study right now through an app called My Circadian Clock that monitors and modifies circadian rhythms. Uh, so one of the world's leaders in understanding how light programs your brain, your body, your mitochondria, and he actually booked the coolest room ever for this interview. Sachin, welcome to the show, and tell me where you're sitting right now. Oh, hi, Dave. I'm actually sitting in the old office of uh, Dr. Francis Crick, and many of you know that Francis Crick was the co-discoverer for DNA, and this is actually his office where he worked until the end of his life as president of the Salk Institute, and just behind me, on my right side, 
is a replica of the Nobel Prize that was given to Francis for the discovery of DNA. On the back, on the wall, there are also framed copies of his letter to his son uh, describing the discovery of DNA and how DNA uh, makes this double helix tone. So it's kind of interesting to see uh, Francis writing this long letter and at the end <laughs> signing, Love, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there you go. Francis Crick definitely had love in his life. It's now yeah. been documented. Yes. <laughs> now, I, I, one of the highlights of my year was actually uh, touring around in your lab. We didn't get to go by Francis Crick's office when we were there. And just looking at, at you know electron microscopes and saying, this is what you know, rat uh, mitochondria look like when they're doing this versus doing that. And just really... Uh, getting getting into it with some of your research students. But I I think people listening to the show today, by now most of us have heard about circadian rhythms because of all the news about the Nobel Prize this year being awarded for research in, in circadian rhythms. So it's now entered our national consciousness. But can you define what a circadian rhythm is in, in a way that, that for people who maybe have a vague sense has something to do with day and night, but like what is a circadian rhythm? Yeah, so the original name circadian rhythm comes from two Latin words, and it essentially means approximately a day or a 24-hour rhythm. So these circadian rhythms are found in almost every living animals, plants, and also many microbes uh, that are on the planet. And due to rotation of our planet around its axis for 24 hours, this creates a profound pressure on every organism to adapt to this predictable change in day and night, every day for hundreds of millions of years. So that's why, um, for example, plants raise and uh, raise their leaves and drop them down in every 24 hours. Uh, birds, animals, humans, all we all go to sleep and wake up in 24 hours. So these 24-hour rhythms are so in, ingrained uh, to our life, that if we take one animal or plant from our planet and put it into Mars or any other planet that has a day-night cycle other than 24 hours, we'll have a hard time to survive. So that's so profound. Uh, so these rhythms are so profound that we have to have them to survive on our planet. Then you might ask, why do we have circadian rhythms? Uh, well, one thing is... Uh, have you ever tried like doing two different tasks at the same time? For example, texting and driving or kind of uh, those kind of stuff where two things actually don't match. You may be able to do for a while, but uh, that's not the best way to do. But at the same time, there are different tasks that go together. For example, um, listening to Bulletproof Radio and sipping some Bulletproof coffee. <laughs> they go together. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm not going to argue with that one. <laughs> So, um, or similarly, like uh, eating dinner and talking to your friends and families. So those things go together, whereas many things that don't go together. Just like that, in our body, when we go to sleep or when we wake up or when we go play sports, there are many things, many genes, many hormones, many brain chemicals that have to work together. So, for example, when you go to sleep at night, a sleep hormone melatonin should go up a muscle tone should go down so that we can sleep nicely, we should not act our 
act out our dreams. Conversely, during daytime, we need less melatonin so that we feel less sleepy, more cortisol, and then our muscle tone should go, go up, our heart rate should go up. So these things go together. And circadian rhythms essentially make sure that compatible things go together and are timed to the right time, and incompatible processes are separated between day and night. And that's kind of the basic um, principle or basic reason why we have circadian rhythms. Why is this more important knowledge now than it was 10 or 20 or 100 years ago? Well, um, if you think about human, our existence on this planet for hundreds or thousands of years, we did not have actually artificial light or electrical lighting. And lighting up was very expensive. For example, you just dial back 100 years or 150 years. Uh, at that time, people, a lot of people really didn't have access to modern lighting. They were using, say, well oil, kerosene oil, or different types of oil to light up. And it was very expensive to light up two to three hours in the evening. So people are more in tune with the day and night cycle. So their internal rhythms were in sync with our day and night cycle. So over the last 100 years or 150 years, we are experiencing more disruption to our circadian rhythm because we have access to light. We can light up anytime we want. It doesn't cost much. And actually, uh, for an average American, uh, we spend less than 0.1% of our income on lighting. So this is that cheap. So then what happens is, as we have, light becomes an enabler to stay awake at nighttime and do st some stuff. And if we look at uh, what is circadian disruption or how much disruption is bad for health, how many nights in a year we can stay awake and that will actually cause dramatic health disturbances, then um, we can go back to one group of people who do it almost on a daily basis. That is the shift. Those are the shift workers, or people who work day and night shifts. And we know that those people are at a high risk for circadian disruption and many chronic disease. But you might argue that, well, the shift workers also don't have access to healthy diet and they might be more stressed. So we go back to laboratory condition, and we can put uh, animals who have a natural mutation in their circadian clock, or those with a induced mutation. And those animals with circadian disruption because of their genetics, they're also at a high risk for various diseases, starting from diabetes, obesity, cardiovascular disease, even anxiety, ADHD-like symptom, and cancer. We can also take people and put them in isolated room and disrupt their circadian rhythm. Don't let them sleep uh, for more than five hours or so. And within a few days, a few weeks, a couple of weeks, they will start to show early signs for chronic diseases. So that's why we know that circadian rhythm disruption is bad. But I will say there are at least six different ways we all experience circadian rhythm disruption. And almost every one of us is a shift worker. So the group number one is what I call um, the card-carrying shift workers. So these are the <laughs> <laughs> these are the people who actually do shift work. The police, uh, the security people, and the military. 
doctors, workers, doctors, <laughs> and emergency fast responders, etc. In Software fact, developers. 20, <laughs> yeah, so I'll get to that. So in fact, 20% of uh, workforce in any industrial country is shift worker. So one in five go through this for years because that's the profession they chose. The second, <laughs> curiously, uh, funnily, I call them the second-hand shift worker. So that's uh, somebody's spouse. A shift worker's spouse might be more loving, caring, and would stay awake to give company uh, for late-night dinner, or very early morning breakfast, or might actually give company to, um, uh, to stay awake very late into the night. So they're not shift workers. But by staying awake, uh, they disrupt their rhythms. And then you might ask, how many days in a year you can disrupt your rhythm and be classified as a shift worker? And the definition is kind of loose from one country to another country. But there is a nice European definition, and I like that. And that is, if you stay awake for three hours or longer between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. for 50 nights in a year, then you are almost a card-carrying shift worker. You might ask why 50 nights only, means there are 365 days, and if you, if you disrupt your rhythm for 50 days, what happens? Interesting thing is, the day we stay awake for three hours in the middle of the night, we know that that day we disrupted our clock. But it takes almost five to seven days to come back to our normal rhythm. Even though we may try to go to sleep at the same time, and wake up, still our internal clocks are so disrupted for, from one night of staying awake that it will take six to seven days. So 50 nights of staying awake for three or more hours around midnight will cause damage. So the third group, I would say, is uh, jet lag, the classic jet lag when you fly from east coast to west coast. And if you fly over three time zones, then it will take you three to four days to adapt to the new time zone. And then you're coming back another three time zones, and it will take you three uh, more days. So essentially, if you do east coast, west coast 50 times a year, uh, so that will actually give you a nice card. So that's gold card or medallion <laughs> card <laughs> or United 1K. So all those frequent flyer, high flyer card carrying travelers are also going through chronic circadian disruption. So that's called the chronic jet lag. <laughs> and then I'll come to the fourth group, and that is digital jet lag. So the, this is where the programmers and uh, stock analysts and stock brokers, they come into play. So they're in U.S. time zone, but they're tracking Asian market or something else, and they have to stay awake or they have to wake up in the middle of the night. Or you can also take diehard sports fans. Suppose say you are a fan of American football and you are living in India or in Asia, then you have to wake up in the middle of the night to watch your favorite sports live. So similarly, a lot of people who live in the North America and they have to track cricket scores, they also stay awake. So that's kind of digital jet lag. <laughs> and then the fifth one, which is the most pervasive one, I call them social jet lag. So that is uh, high schoolers or college students or people like you and I, um, when we meet friends, we stay off late into the night, uh, go for a drink or a couple of drinks. 
or students who are staying up late into the night doing their homework, preparing for exam for three or four nights in a week, they stay awake beyond one o'clock. And in the weekend, they're trying to catch up. So they are essentially living in one time zone in the weekdays and another time zone in the weekend. So if you combine all these five categories, six different categories, traditional shift workers, secondhand shift work, jet lag, digital jet lag, and then social jet lag, we can put ourselves in any bin. So that means almost all of us at some point in our life go through this one to five years of chronic uh, circadian disruption. There may be another category, which is younger kids, because they make school start at 7.30 in the morning, which seems to, like, that is not what the biorhythms for kids are. And I've, I've been published, or I've been posting a lot of studies about like academic performance when you make especially high school students wake up really early to, to start school before work time it just wrecks them biologically that seems like that might be a seventh category yeah so that's kind of in this uh, in the last category what i call social jet lag where it's okay, not social it. actually it's kind of uh, the academic for their academic performance they have to stay yeah awake late into the night, they are doing their homework and also texting and <laughs> getting uh, and uh, chatting with their friends, which is also part of their life. And then they have to wake up at six o'clock um, in cold morning and then go to school. So that's really uh, something so profound and it affects almost 50 million kids who go to school every single day. And this is where we're also working to uh, to demonstrate what is the benefit of changing school start time. Although we say a lot of stuff that we should start, we should spend, we should start high schools later in the day. Uh, there is very little data to show that it actually benefits them. And once we accumulate those data, um, very objective, with collected with scientific rigor and randomized, etc then hopefully we can convince almost every school district to start the school late. Another thing uh, that happens when kids are, this is good that you brought up that point, when kids or young adults, they go through this uh, circadian disruption, that's not their choice, it's imposed on them. Uh, The same thing happens in colleges. Then we pick up bad habits, just to stay awake late into the night, or to get some a few hours of sleep when we have a chance. So people start drinking or getting into different drugs to keep them awake or go to sleep. And even though later in life we have a regular day-night cycle, we are still stuck with that bad habit. So that's why indirectly circadian disruption pushes us towards adopting some bad habits that can stay with us for the rest of our life. And this is the reason why I think uh, this is very important that um, we learn more about circadian rhythm because our body is designed, almost every gene in our genome is designed to go up and down or turn on and off at different time of the day. All of our hormones go up and down at certain time of the day. Our brain chemicals rise and fall at certain time of the day. And there is no escaping from that. So we are designed to go through a certain lifestyle, but the world that we have created, the anthropogenic or the man-made world that we have created, demands us to disrupt this natural rhythm. And we cannot go back to the stone age. We cannot turn off all the lights and just live under day-night, natural day-night cycle. 
But if we learn about what disrupts circadian rhythm and how we can nurture rhythms, then we can still live in this modern society and have a nurturing circadian rhythm so that we can be healthy, we can prevent diseases or even reverse some of the diseases. There's there's so many things that your work and, and that of others have teased out, like different environmental variables that affect our circadian rhythm, that part of my craft of biohacking is to recognize, I know I, I, I am going to fly. You know, I, I'm not going to live a perfect circadian life, but if I can yeah. avoid harming my circadian rhythm more than necessary, I'll do that. So like my, my house at home, all of the exterior lighting is is a sea turtle friendly red lighting. So my friends uh, think I live in a submarine or some sort of house <laughs> of ill repute, but I can go outside and red light doesn't affect circadian rhythm. So I can still see the stars. And the side yeah. effect is that I don't attract bugs with those, but I have three species of owl that nest within a hundred yards of the house because I'm not wow. disrupting their circadian rhythm. So like it's, yeah. it's like this external light pollution affects not just us, but every living thing on the planet, right? Yeah. So exactly. So this is what we discovered almost 15, 16 years ago. Um, We know that uh, there is a small, very small number of nerve cells in the base of our brain. They act as master clock in our brain. And these 20,000 neurons are literally hardwired to our retina or to our eye. And uh, there are only very small subset, maybe 5,000 to 10,000 special cells in our retina that sense only blue light mostly blue light, and they send that information back into the master clock neurons. So that's how um, we are designed, not only us, as you pointed out, um, almost every animal is designed to synchronize their internal circadian clock with the sunlight or day-night cycle because sunlight or daylight is the richest source of blue light out there. So that's why we are designed to synchronize our clock with blue light. So, if, so that very simple understanding that blue light uh, synchronizes our clock has a huge impact because, as you pointed out, in modern living condition, we spend a lot of time in the evening in front of bright screen or bright light, and most of those lights also have a significant amount of blue light. So that blue light suppresses melatonin. It confuses our circadian clock. Our clock doesn't know whether... Evening has already started or it's just twilight zone. So I, I think of like our body is in constant twilight zone. Uh, so we get sleep disturbances. And similarly, outside light pollution can disrupt rhythms in many birds, in many migratory species. They cannot migrate at the right time. They can be predated. They can completely be wiped out because they get confused which season it is. Um, So that simple idea, it's kind of interesting that in 15 to 16 years, that simple discovery that we made in mouse and then later on other people verified it happens in humans has led to your cell phones now tuning to orange color around 10 o'clock at night. And uh, this also has a huge impact because we know that the amount of light that comes out of an iPad iPhone or any kind of smart screen is enough to disrupt our circadian rhythm. But if we change that light color, that will have huge impact. So it's gratifying to see a basic science discovery has made it to a billion or more smartphones and people are actually starting to use that knowledge. And second, as you pointed out, the next revolution will be this lighting revolution where 
we can have tunable lighting so that we can change the color of the light uh, depending on the time of the day. But at the same time, we move around. Means in the evening, we have to, sometimes we go to the grocery store, we'll go to <laughs> the drugstore, we'll drive around. And so that's where we got to bring in another layer of defense, and that's um, circadian sunglasses, or you can say evening glasses. Where When I go shopping at night, it, it drives me nuts. I wear a baseball hat. Uh, and yeah. circadian glass. I started a circadian glasses company called True Dark, um, yeah. for for that reason. But I, I, once you're used to having darkness, and you go into a grocery store or a uh, like a any kind of department store, you realize there is so much light. It's like brighter than daylight in those stores, and it feels like unpleasant once you're used to knowing that it's dark. But yeah. I think most people, most people haven't adopted that practice yet. But I can tell you, you sleep better if you don't go shopping at eight o'clock at night. Yeah, because of that. Yeah, no. Once so, people go there to to large department store or grocery store, you spend 15, 20 minutes shopping, and then you are standing in line for another 10, 15 minutes. So that's half an hour of super bright light. And we know that if we bring people to lab and give that amount of light, we can disrupt their circadian rhythm. We can reduce their melatonin. So essentially, by going shopping late at night to a very bright store you're essentially reducing your hormone level. So it's almost equivalent to, if you think of um, the environmental factors, for example, carbon monoxide is regulated, carbon dioxide is regulated because that has huge impact on our health. So if light impacts our health so much, shouldn't we regulate light? Should not we come up with building guidelines that this should be the light level? So I think these are the new issues that will slowly come up. And in fact, National Institute of Health had a workshop, brought all the leading scientists to get together and discuss about the effect of light at night and what kind of guidelines can be developed to improve health. So I'm glad that you pointed that out. It's funny, at the at the Bulletproof Coffee Shop in Santa Monica, uh, we've had color tunable lighting. We have a big light box around the door that changes color with time of day for circadian timing. And our new uh, Bulletproof headquarters has uh, low pressure, or sorry, low voltage halogen lighting on dimmers yeah. and backup LED lighting so we can add red and amber towards evening time. So we can dim the main light source and, and change the richness. And it's not that expensive to do this if people know when you're putting in a lighting system, if you know it's important, uh, we actually saved money doing it that way compared to the super high pressure LED system that would have been installed by default. So like it's, it, this is something if, if you're going to redo the lights in your house, you better think about color spectrum and, and temperature and things like that. Yeah. Uh, have you, have, have you looked at LED, uh, like white LED versus fluorescent versus halogen versus incandescent and what they do to circadian rhythm? Well, so there are a lot of studies going on, on, uh, those kind of light sources. And in fact, uh, Three, four years ago, a bunch of us, including lighting engineers, architects, um, ophthalmologists, and uh, physicians, primary care physicians, and scientists, uh, lighting manufacturers, we all got together in Tokyo and came up with a statement, position statement on LED lighting, and that was published last year. And it's very true that light has a huge impact and people can do very simple things. Just like you, you had a lot of sound bites there. <laughs> One is dimmable switch. Um, well, you might have a lighting fixture that you don't want to get rid of. But at the same time, you can just, switch, you can just change the switch, put a dimmer. Uh, I think everybody should 
remove their light on off switch that is so last millennium and then put <laughs> dimmers <laughs> you are every every switch in my house has them that's exactly right now these may yeah. make dirty electricity you're going to need electrical filters to remove emfs if you do it but the trade-off is worth it in in my experience so your house is yeah. all is all dimmable then <laughs> Well, my house has very old uh, lighting, so I so most of our rooms have um, very dim lights to begin with. So we don't even go there dimmers. Okay. And then the few uh, lights where they came they came in built with dimmers. <laughs> we are so dim light. So people who come to the house they think that we are in prehistoric age or something. <laughs> but it's great because I feel uh, our house is the same. Yeah. Between nine and ten, and I have a. 15-year-old daughter, and she has perfect circadian rhythm. She goes to sleep early, gets up early, and then goes to high school. Um, so everything is fine just by changing one simple thing. So people should start thinking about buying those dimmers. <laughs> right. now, now, we talked about going to bed early, waking up early. I, I've interviewed uh, Dr. Michael Bruce, who's a, a sleep doctor who focuses on non-apnea things. And, yeah. and he's got a, a theory that about 15% of people are, their chronobiology is wired to keep them up late. The theory is that if we were in a cave society, you need a night shift. And 15% yeah. of people are the morning shift. They need to wake up real early. And then yeah. most people are daytime. And then some people never sleep very well. They're the backup alarm system <laughs> because everything wakes yeah. them up. And those are his patients, yeah. right? And I made I changed my circadian rhythm about before I had kids, this was a 10 plus years ago. And I made myself wake up at 5 a.m. every morning, go to bed earlier, and I did it for two years straight. So I became an you know early morning riser person. And I was controlling my light, not as well as I do now. I was using plain amber yeah, yeah. glasses back then versus now I have all the spectrums filtered out and all that. But uh, so I did this for two years and I found it didn't necessarily improve anything. Maybe my creativity went down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and when I when I, I control my light and my food intake, so my body knows it's nighttime, but I'm wearing you know the the glasses that make my brain think it's pitch black. Uh, yeah. I will naturally stay up till exactly two a.m. every night, and I've tracked this for seven years on sleep monitors. I get profoundly yeah. sleepy. I go to bed at two. I wake up you know around eight, maybe eight thirty, and that seems like the circadian biology. No matter what I do, that's when I perform best and I feel best. Do you think that there is any? Any validity to that that idea that some people have a, a, a later shifted circadian rhythm, some have an earlier shifted circadian rhythm? Like, could that be biologically based, or do we just oh, not yeah. know enough? Okay. No, actually, that's a, that's a very interesting topic that you brought up. Uh, just like you said, you are naturally designed to uh, wired to go late. There are many people who are naturally wired to go late, and in fact, we call these the good at, people, right? That, the, yeah, the very best normal. people are there. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, almost 20 years ago, this this was not a uh, this was not even considered that uh, we are designed to go early or late. So, in fact, there was this woman. Um, I'm forgetting her real name. Um, so she went to many sleep doctors and said, uh, "Well, I have this problem that I." cannot resist. I just go to bed very early. So she used to go to bed around 7.30 or 8. And she would wake up around 3 o'clock uh, or 2 o'clock. So she was a uh, really early riser. And then the sleep doctors would say, well, you are already getting seven hours of sleep, so you are perfectly fine. There is nothing wrong with you. This is all in your head. And this is some cuckoo thought. Uh, don't worry about it. There is no cure. This is not a disease. And she went around many sleep doctors, and finally she came to a sleep doctor in Utah, University of Utah, 
Medical Center, and this sleep doctor had a good friend who is a human geneticist, and he thought that maybe there is some truth to it. Maybe there is a genetic mutation in this person. So he talked to uh, a good friend of mine, Louis Pitasek, and uh, Louis used to do, um, still does very good uh, human genetic research, and his and um, this guy Chris and Louis, they were biking and they talked about this story. And Louis got super excited. He went and talked to his wife Ying Hui Fu, who is also a human geneticist, was working on neuro disease, and they both got excited because they thought, well this is something really cool because if there is a sleep gene that times your sleep to different time, then it will be cool to discover. So for the next three to four years, they put all their time, resource, and effort on figuring out what is wrong with this woman. And finally, they found a mutation in a circadian clock gene called period two. Uh, The bottom line is when this gene is mutated, then these people who have that mutation, they go to bed very early. And as as they published this very groundbreaking paper uh, almost 17, 18 years ago in 2000, a lot of people started calling them and saying, well, I have a natural tendency to go to bed super late or I can sleep with only four hours or five hours, I'm fully functional. So they got a lot of human mutants and they have been... (laughs) (laughs) They have been publishing a lot of papers identifying new genes. So there is another gene. If it is mutated, then those people can sleep only for four to five hours and they they are completely, perfectly functional. Uh, So that's a gene that makes you need less sleep. So similarly now, there are new mutations uh, people are finding that will keep you awake. Uh, So it's possible, Dave, that you are a mutant. It's entirely likely, uh, given that uh, (laughs) half my family comes from Roswell, New Mexico. The other half uh, worked in the nuclear power industry for their entire life. So (laughs) it it has to be that. Now, here's a question. Put on your 50 years in the future hat. Are we going to be using CRISPR gene editing so I could get the upgrade so I only need five hours of sleep? (laughs) Yeah, I wish. (laughs) Well... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, the point is, uh, yes, we got to know about our gene and how they regulate us. And at the same time, sometimes um, our behavior, our, our daily habits are also much more profound. So it's almost like uh, driving a car, right? Uh, so when we buy a car, it's different brands of cars have their own strengths and weaknesses. And uh, we know that we can put a very good tire or we can live with the tire that it came with. And we just have to be careful about where we <laughs> drive, and we should not take the uh, take our truck off-roading. So similarly, right. uh, I think what we can do right now on a daily basis is to really take care of the circadian rhythm. So just imagine, even if you have the best car, best Ferrari, if you take it off-roading every day, <laughs> then it will very quickly lose its value. So similarly. Uh, you, I might have a very old-fashioned beetle or something, and if I take good care of it, then I can drive it uh, to the moon, 240,000 miles. So right. when it comes to that, um, as you pointed out, just taking care of light exposure or let, less light during nighttime or more light during the daytime is really key to keeping our brain circadian clock uh, functional. Similarly, Almost uh, nine years ago, we made another big discovery. 
This is the end of part one of the conversation with Sachin Panda. Tune in later in the week for part two, where we're going to talk about topics like food and meal timing and how they affect your circadian rhythm. This is a chance to learn a lot more about how your body works using new science that really no one knew about. If you liked this first half of the episode, I would really be grateful if you would head on over to bulletproof.com slash iTunes and leave a review that says this is a good show worth watching. We're up about 2,500 reviews, and the more reviews you leave, the more other people will find the show, which makes it even cooler and really just keeps the ball rolling. So thank you for your time today, and I'm looking forward to showing you the second half of this. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.